0: All right, folks, welcome back to the Gird Up Podcast. Today we're going to listen to another interview with Ralph Moreau. But before we do that, I want to encourage you guys to A, go get involved with Kingdom Workers. Now you've heard about Kingdom Workers from me before on this podcast. We interviewed Bill Meyer a bunch of times. Great organization. Lots of opportunities this summer to get involved, to spread the gospel all over the world. So go get involved with Kingdom Workers. Find them on their website. Follow them on social media. Get involved second thing i need you to do is make sure you're sharing this podcast with friends and other people get on facebook find the gird up community join the gird up community like the the pictures and all that kind of good stuff and share it with your friends third find us on instagram or whatever else it is and just share like crazy if you're listening to it at lunch or in the car or whatever tell people what you're listening to encourage them to get in and listen Uh, Along the same token, welcome to our guests and our listeners from all over the place, all over the country, all over the world. Uh, Today I want to highlight those people listening in Milwaukee, some of you I know personally, Um, others of you. I'm just happy to know the people in my home city are listening in and growing on the same journey that I'm on right now. Also Manitowoc, Manitowoc area people, love you. Shout out to you. I was up in Manitowoc the other day at First German. Really cool stuff going on in that uh, beautiful city. You got to see the courthouse for the first time. I've never seen that uh, County Municipal Building before. It's a beautiful building. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for tuning in and listening. It's awesome. It's flattering. I pray that the Lord continues to bless our work together. Today we got a special guest, Mr. Ralph Moreau. Last podcast, that'd be last episode. Uh, he talked about the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, which is an organization he's a part of and he's very active in that in the Milwaukee area. But today we're going to talk more about coaching, um, our own philosophies on coaching, some wins, some losses, some battles, and uh, just generally our thoughts on coaching. So you kind of get to get an ear in on our conversation with each other about what we love about coaching, some best practices, some things that we like to do with our teams. If you're not a coach, don't worry. There's lots of stuff you can implement just in your family, in your own personal life, in your social life, and there's a lot of commentary on our spiritual lives as well. So so happy to share this with you. Guys, I hope you enjoy this episode of the Gird Up Podcast with Mr. Ralph Miro. Hello and welcome to the Gird Up Podcast. The call to Gird Up is an ancient way of telling a man to prepare himself for hard work or a battle ahead. Our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers, brothers in Christ, working hard to become the men that God has called us to be. I am your host, Charlie Ungemach. I'm a teacher, a coach, music director, and a man of God, myself working toward the goal of, like David, being a man after God's own heart. We're happy you could join us. Now it's time to roll up our sleeves, to gird up, and become the men that God has created us to be. All right, we're back with Ralph Moreau, uh, FCA coach, pastor extraordinaire. Um, we're going to talk about coaching today, so let's get your coaching background a little bit first.
1: All right, well, my I, I got started in coaching when I was at seminary at the Inter- International School of Theology in one of my classes. Um, it was a New Testament class, New Testament application, I think is what the name of the class was. and one of the assignments was that we were to go into the community and spend time serving, volunteering with somebody in the community that was doing something that we, we wanted to do, um, that was trying to live out their faith within their, the context. And my, the prof knew that I was a athlete and interested in sports and said, hey, I've got a buddy who coaches high school at uh, Central City uh, School here in San Bernardino. And uh, how would you like to go and be his assistant for two weeks? And so I, you know, I thought, boy, for being a school school assignment, this sounds like a pretty good deal. So I went and um, spent time. The guy's name was Scott K. Scott played at um, uh, Loyola Maramont, um, and was coaching at San Bernardino. And he was a white guy at a school that was about, oh, I would say, eighty percent Hispanic. About. 19% African-American and about 1% white. And he had this remarkable ability of connecting with his players. And he was a really good coach too. And um, they won a lot of games and, and I got to be his assistant for two weeks as part of this uh, class. And after that two weeks ended, I asked him if I could stay on for the rest of the season just as a volunteer assistant. And I did that. And then he asked me to come back the next year and be his assistant, and I think I got paid a hundred dollars for the season. And, <laughs> um, and but in, but loved it, enjoyed it, really watched him. Didn't know didn't know what he was doing really. Um, what I wasn't smart enough, astute enough to know that his personal philosophy of coaching was really uh, like a three dimensional approach. He wasn't just coaching them as basketball players; he was coaching them as young men, and that's what the key was. Um, you know, I, I think I've I've learned more about his philosophy by thinking back on some of the things that he did and some of the situations than I did when I was actually in it. Um, but it, it, it kind of wet my appetite for coaching. I When I graduated from seminary, I came back to the Milwaukee area, didn't have a, a full-time job, um, had my resume out at a couple of different places, and... Um, but nothing was coming, coming forward. So I was working for my dad in, in a construction job just to pay some bills. Got a call from the high school coach at the high school that I graduated from. He was actually my high school baseball coach. And he was my JV basketball coach then. And he just said, hey, our, our, our freshman coach just had a family crisis happen. And um, we're a week away from the season. He has to step out. You played for me. You know my, my system how would you like to try to come in and coach our freshman team? And I said, Oh, absolutely. I'd love to, you know, and, um, he said, well, let me just warn you, you know, you're coming in, we're going to take your three best players right up to the JV. You (laughs) probably won't win a game. And of course I was coming off of, you know, four years of seminary and, um, just concentrating on the ministry involved in sports and, and I, you know, I just said, "Oh, that's fine. I, I will, I will love the opportunity to, to teach life through basketball to these kids. And you know, we'll teach them teamwork, and we'll teach them uh, work ethic, and we'll teach them encouragement, and um, facing adversity. You know, I just was really excited heading in um, to it. And and uh, we we headed into the season, and that's really how I got my my start. It was back in 1987 at Brookfield Central. We didn't win a game that first year. <laughs> And um, about halfway through the year, uh, all of my thoughts about the value of coaching and teaching life lessons really got called into question in my own heart. I started feeling like, was it doing any good? Was there having any impact? Um, and, and really began thinking that I wasn't any good as a coach and was thinking, you know, well, this is a one year wonder for me and um, it actually had two situ- two things happen at the end of the year. Um, last game of the year, we were 0-14 playing the team that actually won the conference. They had beaten us by 20 the first time, and we were facing in the last game, and I think I spent the whole week putting in some crazy freak defenses <laughs> and, you know, trying to change our offense completely, just trying to surprise them, and I kept thinking, well, maybe they'll come in overconfident, and we'll be able to surprise them and whatever, and While while the teams were warming up, a gentleman came out of the stands, and he was one of the dads of of a player that I had not met. Um, I had met the player's mother at the parents' meeting, but the dad wasn't there, so he had never met me. But he came down and introduced himself, and he said, hey, I'm Jason's dad. Now, Jason was actually a player that was the last player that made the team. He was about 6'4". He had never played organized basketball. Um, but in that last day of tryouts, i sort of made my little speech to the players that you needed to show me today that you really wanted to be on the team. And so Jason was diving on the floor and every time okay. I needed somebody and he was jumping in and volunteering and, you know, he just got to the point where I just could not keep him from being on the team. And so he made the team as the last player on the team. By the end of the year, before this game, he had worked his way up to being about our eighth player. He actually would come in and get some rebounds, play defense, block a few shots. He never, ever scored a point the whole season. But he really, he became a valuable player on the team just by what he had accomplished during the year. Well, this was his dad. And he comes down and he said, Coach, I just want to thank you for, uh, for what you've done this year. And I said, yeah, it'd be nice if we could uh, you know, surprise these guys and maybe salvage the season. And he goes, hey, Coach, don't kid yourself. This season has been a huge success. Well, I'll be real honest. I, you know, I was sort of dumbfounded when he said that, and I kind of looked at him, questioning. And I said, Do "You mind me asking why you would say that? We haven't won a game." And he said, "Coach, before this season started, my kid didn't care about anything. Now he cares about everything. Thank you." And so, you know, we hadn't won a game, but I made an impact on one kid, and that, in and of itself, you know, was a huge encouragement to me. Well, we ended up losing the game, probably, I don't remember the final score, but it was probably by like more than 20. <laughs> and, um, we went into the locker room afterwards and, you know, we did that typical, the end of the year speech, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna have to take care of things, turning in equipment. And, you know, I thank them for their effort and we, you know, dot, 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 and all the things that coaches do at that last meeting. And then I started talking about the specifics of turning in uniforms and all that. And one of my players raises his hand and says, coach, And I said, yeah, Jimmy, what do you want? And he he goes, coach, can we practice tomorrow? So here we are on Friday, we lose our last game, we're 0-15, there's no reason to practice again. And he raised his hand and says, can we practice tomorrow? And so I I said, well, if I team vote, sure, it's certainly, it would be optional, but, and every one of the players showed up. So something was going right even though we hadn't yeah. won a game. And it really, those two things kept me in coaching all these years because I realized there really, there really is, there can be value regardless of, of winning and losing. And, of course, you know, I mean, I, I had thoughts like if I was any good at coaching at all, I would win one by accident once in a while, you know. <laughs> and, um, but it, it was, it was quite, a, quite an experience. And I would, say, I would say I might have done one of my best jobs coaching that year because I was trying so hard to make it worth something even though we couldn't win a game and obviously you know it it paid off and you know actually interestingly this the player that asked if we could um if we could practice on Saturday actually lives in my neighborhood and walks by my house every once in a while with his three kids now and you know, stops once in a while and talks about, tells me the things I didn't tell them, didn't teach him about raising a family. And I said, Hey, Jimmy, when I was coaching you, I was single. I didn't know anything about raising a family. So, yeah. So that's how I got into coaching way back, you know, 100 years
0: ago. It's awesome. Uh, so, what have you, well, let's talk about your coaching career since then. So, what have you All right, so have I've, been doing? So, I've,
1: I've coached mostly in, in, in basketball um, at Brookfield Central. I was their freshman coach for five years. Then we had our second child. My son, Jamie, was born. and My wife said, I can't handle two little ones through a whole basketball season without you. So I stepped away for a year. The next year, they, they asked me to come back as a volunteer assistant on the JV. I did that. And the next year, I um, stayed on the JV staff. And then after that, for uh, about 17 years, they asked me to step up to being a varsity assistant. And so I, I, I did that. Um, then we... Uh, Coaching changed about three years ago. New coach at Brookfield Central. I had to really apply to be on his staff. And um, I I would say that I probably wasn't even one of his top choices, but several of the guys that he asked before me declined his offer. And so I stepped on as his freshman coach three years ago. And then two years ago, the JV coach um, got a, a varsity job and the JV job became open and I stepped up as a JV coach. I've been a JV coach the last two years besides that, I coached both my son and daughter through their recreational careers. And so I coached baseball. The only thing I didn't coach is soccer, because I didn't know anything about soccer. (laughs) Um, But they both played a little bit of soccer. But I I coached my son's baseball team and basketball team. And I coached my daughter's softball team and basketball team.
0: Cool. Very cool. Uh, So did you ever have the opportunity to you know, move up and have a team of your own at the varsity level, or anything, or
1: um, you know, once or twice I have been asked <laughs> to change schools, um, and um, and I've at, to this point I have not. I have decided not to do that. Um, when the when the coaches change happened at Brookfield Central, I actually was interested in applying for that head job at Central and had to ask permission from FCA. I actually had to fight him a little bit on it, but then they eventually gave me permission to try for that job. Um, and, and, and one of my big selling points was it's it's my community. I live a half mile from Brookfield Central. This is the community I live in. And so um, you know that would be why I would wanna be a part of that. Um, I, I didn't even get a chance to interview. They hired the, the, the current girls coach um, who they knew and they, they put him in that position. And so it became a mute point. But that's part of the 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 reason I haven't left um, Brookfield Central and I've stayed in an assistance role um, because to leave uh, and to travel a long way into another community, though there would be, you know, great strategy involved in being a head coach, which I think I would love the challenge and the opportunity it doesn't match up real well for me being the full-time FCA rep with a, just a, a demanding schedule and then stepping out of my community because I, one of my teaching points is that, that God says he wants us to be involved in our community and be light mm-hmm. and salt in our community. Well, if I was going to some other community to coach and running around to all these seven counties as the FCA rep, I would hardly live at all in my own community so that was that was for me part of the reason for that. Um, I, I've oftentimes said that if I could if I could earn a living coaching, I, I probably would do that because I think coaching is one of the best ministries there is to be involved in and again that's a biased view of a guy that, that coaches and grew up as an athlete and whatever. but we say it at FCA all the time, that, the, uh, that youth coaches today are in the most strategic and most influential position in the life of our adoles- adolescents today because of the sports craze culture that we live in. And so I would see that as a great opportunity to be able to do that full-time, but so far God hasn't opened the
0: door for me to be able to do that and, yeah. and, and put food on the table for my family. You say coaching full-time is definitely, definitely <laughs> up there on the list of things I'd love to do. It just sounds like the life to me. Oh, yeah, me it too. It just sounds awesome. All right, cool. So we talked a little bit about um, the 3D coaching. Can you explain that a little bit? Y- yeah. Um, Jeff Duke, Dr. Jeff Duke, um, developed a, a
1: curriculum, kind of put it in a in a, form, a format that can be teachable called three-dimensional coaching. And basically what, what he talked about is that that coaching happens on three dimensions. The first dimension is skills and strategy, The second dimension is really the mind of the athlete, including things like confidence and emotions and motivation and some of those kind of things and how that impacts the performance of the skills and strategies. And then the third dimension is really the heart or soul of the athlete, including things like security and significance and purpose. And in the whole thesis of three-dimensional coaching is, is that if you're truly being the best possible coach that you that you are in getting the most out of your athletes, you really have to coach the whole person. You can't just coach at one level. And um, one of the things that that Dr. Duke did when he did his um, his doctorate degree, he went he traveled around the country and spent time with coaches at every level, and particularly many in the top levels of different sports. and And one of the things that he discovered was that about eighty five percent of coaches. Uh, never leave the first dimension. They, they mm-hmm. spend all their time in the skills and strategies and, and, and that's how they're trying to make their programs better and whatever. Um, and, and yet most of them are having most of their struggles in the second and third dimension with, because of the change in culture that we live in and you know, the things that the kids are, are exposed to that's, that some of us as, as coaches when we were athletes we were never exposed to things like social media. Um, that everybody knows everything you do um, all those kind of things all of a sudden impact the performance of your team and and many coaches are just being frustrated by that but but they're not coaching in that in that realm and so dr duke you know put together this this whole idea of there are strategies you can use it in all three dimensions and i guess the bottom line of what he what he gets to when he does some of the training with the coaches is he says that if, if that if you want to coach in all three dimensions you have to be living in all three yourself and taking care of all three yourself like as one of my colleagues says it's hard to be a tour guide to a land you've never visited and so if you're gonna try to take your athletes to the second and third dimension y- you've got to have some experience there yourself it doesn't mean you have to be an expert doesn't mean that you have to have it all together but it, it, it means that you have to have an understanding of what's involved in in those dimensions and so that's what the three-dimensional um, training and coaching is all about. And um, yeah, FCA has done a, a large part partnering with three-dimensional coaching to try to get um, that out there to the coaches and trying to make it um, something that will help coaches to be able to have a greater positive influence on their athletes.
0: Yeah, and it's a great book. I've got a copy of it myself, and the pages are, are worn and it doesn't quite close all the way anymore. And there's about 80 post it notes in there and highlighter on every page. It's like a grape juice stain on the back, all kinds of good stuff. It's it's fantastic, and it applies just as much, I think, to classrooms and families and, oh, and just as much as, as anywhere else. Obviously, I don't have a family of my own, but just like looking at the situations that we're presented with, it's, it's so much. Uh so applicable to just every part of life, not just athletics um but it's geared towards athletics and I think that's like you said we have coaches are just so important, they have so much impact in a good way and in a bad way and if you i don't know if you've ever been to like the real peewee football level you know like <laughs> yeah. on Saturday mornings, especially in the city like you will see some coaches who can do this. Like they're already mm-hmm. coaching at the three, you know, the third level. And you talk to them and you find out they're, you know, you know, the spiritual leader at some church or whatever. And they just like football, but you see a lot, way, way more coaches who are just somebody's dad reliving the glory days, like cussing at eight year olds, you know? Yeah. And yeah. what kind of a message is that telling our kids? So, yeah. Well, one of, one of the things that
1: I, a couple of years ago, I became a certified presenter for this three dimensional curriculum. And, um, I <laughs> did a number of seminars, workshops at different schools with whole athletic departments. And, you know, it's great material. I mean, it really it really teaches itself. It's, um, but I, I had a great time teaching it, whatever. And at the time, I was a varsity assistant. And I was able to really be doing a lot of this because the head coach that I worked with sort of gave me the responsibility of, Building chemistry on the team. So I was doing a lot of the second dimension stuff and even a little bit of the third dimension stuff as what I did as an assistant. Well, then then I became the head freshman coach and I tried to do some of the strategies in the book and I realized how hard it was to be the head coach and trying to pull off some of these strategies and probably became a 10 times better, more effective presenter because I realized it's easy to talk about this stuff so much harder to really put it into play when you're actually out there on the field mm-hmm. in you know in, in the you know in the front lines if you will so um you know i, I get an opportunity to to try to do the things that i teach about and uh, believe me it's um it, it's a challenge but it certainly is rewarding when you're able to do it
0: yeah one of my favorite things i took out of there was that spotlight drill that they talk about mm-hmm. and, and uh, if you're not familiar it's essentially you stand in a circle and everybody goes around you pick somebody and everybody goes around and tells them what they add to the team or why they're valuable or whatever. And, and you try and get past the, like, you've got nice hair. And you get to, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, uh, you you encourage me I'm on the days where, you know, I, I'm struggling or, you know, when when my mom couldn't pick me up from school, you waited with me and then walked me home, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Um, and so encouraging them even to go beyond what's happening on the court or what's happening on a field, but going beyond that to encouraging each other even to, um, be active in each other's lives and I use that every year in my classroom more at the beginning of the year at this point in the yeah, year great. I kind of fall away from it a little bit yeah. um, but especially at the beginning of the year just to get kids to learn to respect each other like see oh, each absolutely. other as human beings um, but like you said when you're when you're head coach trying to do that just remember like working so hard especially after games to train the kids we're not done until after we've got that time together. So we'd finish practice, and there'd still be another 10 minutes on the on the schedule, you know. And this is, like, you can't, like, moms aren't coming in, and you're not leaving until we get our, you know, we call it family time. Like, till we get our family time in, That's great. until we build each other up or we talk about, you know, the wins and losses of the day and all that kind of stuff. Especially after games, like, you want to go hug mom? Like, I get it. But there's something way more valuable we need to do here. And yeah. and once we explained to parents what we were doing, I think they they actually bought in really well to it too. And we have mostly Christian families, um, so it helps. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's just a really important thing and crazy important. I think more, most of the memories I still have from that came from, you know, after practice and after games more so than actually in the games themselves.
1: Yeah, that's great.
0: Yeah. Uh, so kind of going into that then, what, what, if I'm a coach and I want to be a better coach, what are the, what's the low-hanging fruit there? <laughs> well, I think,
1: I think um, being willing to and having a desire to get to know your players beyond being athletes. Um, it's pretty easy for us as coaches to see the ones that can really, you know, like in, in my sport, basketball, the kids that can really score, the kids that can really have a good handle on the ball, or the kids that rebound well, or whatever. Um, but the ones that don't do some of those things very well, what, what about them? And, and how do they keep themselves motivated? You know, um, like, I, like I say all the time, the bottom the bottom kids on the team have to do all the tough stuff in practice And then they don't get the benefit of playing in the prime time in games most of the time so what keeps them motivated what you know why are they why do they want to be on the team um some of those kind of things and you know one of one of one of the things that one of the strategies that i I mean there's a bunch of strategies but there's there's a couple of them that i've used pretty regularly that have been really helpful one of them is that every year i i do a personal one-on-one time with each one of my players now it's kind of, it's easy to do with a basketball team, a little tougher to do like with a football team. But, but I go, I actually give them their choice of me coming to their home and spending 15 to 20 minutes with them or meeting in a favorite restaurant, you know, like a Panera or a Subway or whatever, wherever they're going to be most comfortable because some of them don't want me coming to their homes or whatever. Most of the time they, they, they let me come to their homes, but I come and I spend 15 or 20 minutes with them Usually the first five minutes we talk about their role on the team, how things are going, da da da, my coaching style, um, some of those kind of things. And then I go into just asking them about them. And I ask them silly things like, you know, do you like ice cream? What's your favorite flavor of ice cream? You know, I ask them about their families. I ask them what do you do? What do you do when you have a day off of school and there's no practice? Or what you know, what would you do? You know, where would be your favorite place to go on vacation? Just um, all different things. And then I, and then I just try to listen to what they're saying and then follow up with some questions, just trying to get in, into them a little bit and just let them know that I'm interested in their life beyond what they can do on the basketball court. Um, th- th- that's been tremendous. And one of the things I do at the end is I, I ask them, well, two things I asked them. One is I said, what can you tell me that will help me coach you better? Um, you know, and, and, and sometimes, you know, sometimes they'll tell me, you know, I, I do better when you yell at me, which I was surprised to hear, but I heard that from several of my players over the years. Um, oftentimes, you know, they'll tell me other things, but the other thing is I'll ask them, um, is there anything that you'd like me to know about you that I don't know about you? And usually they say no quickly. And then eventually, you know, because I don't, I you usually ask that question like the second or third last question to give them a little time, because usually by the end they'll they'll think of something, you know. Like I had one player say at the very end, and we, we actually were doing the meeting. I, I give them this choice too; it can either be me and them one on one, or their parents can sit in on it too if, if they want them to. And so in this case, the, the parents were sitting there, and he goes, he goes, Coach, there, I, I thought of something I'd, i I'd like you to know about me. And I said, and what's that? And he goes, oh, I'm adopted. Mm. and it really was interesting because at the parents meeting his dad, is he, he's a splitting image of his dad <laughs> and so I would have never ever guessed that and I actually told, I said that I said boy Andy when I first met your dad I, I, I thought you were a splitting image of your dad and he said but, I said so thanks for letting me know that I said you know it's pretty special you know cause all the other kids all the other kids were born in their families but you got chosen into this one that's a pretty special deal, you know. And, yeah. and so, you know, there, there's been moments like that that have been, you know, I had another one where one of the kids told me about a learning disability hat. And I said, well, so how specifically, what, what, how does that impact you? He says, well, I need to hear something about six times before it sinks in. And so here I'm thinking, I said, oh, so like when a coach tells you what the play is and then tells you to jump in there like I did the other day, <laughs> and you didn't know it and I jumped all over you. That was a little unfair on, on my part, right? And he goes, "Yeah, but that happens, you know, or whatever." Right, right? So it, yeah. He was very forgiving of me, but it was, but it changed the way I coached him from then on because mm-hmm. I found that out in that one-on-one time. So that's been probably the most um, beneficial thing that I've done in terms of stepping into their lives. One other <laughs> strategy that I use that's kind of, it's called on the line. Um, and you line everybody up in the gym and then you just ask questions and you say, um, you say you, you can't say anything. You just simply have to respond to the question. So like, for instance, I'll line, I'll line people up on the, on the line and I'll say, if you're, if you're an only child, step forward, you know, and so oh, they nice. step forward yeah. and then they say, and I said, okay, step back. If you know, if you have, you know, if you're the youngest in your family, step forward, you know? If you're living in in a home with both of your biological parents, step forward. Um, You know, and it gets, you know, I start out with some silly questions, but it gets deeper after that. You know, I'll ask, you know, I'll say, if you've ever been shot, step forward. And, you know, and you just, you go kind of go through some different things. And um, and and then at the end, I say, okay, now, if you saw one of your teammates step forward to a question and you're curious about the answer, after we shoot free throws today, I'm going to give you 10 minutes to get together and talk to each other. That's gold. And it, it's been, you know, it's kind of been amazing. You know, they just kind of gravitate to that. And so, you know, it, it gives them, it, va- it tells them that there's something more valuable about just practicing, even though I demand that they're pretty intense in their practicing. Mm-hmm. And so those are a couple of strategies that I use to try to get into that second dimension.
0: And even, you know, it even gets you in, a little
1: bit into the third dimension, thinking about significance and purpose and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, and I, I think of it as a teacher because that's mainly my role right now. But then to maintain that throughout the season too. You're know, like you not just getting it at the beginning yep. to maintain it all the way through. And uh, for me, it's tough with the kids that show up late for school and get picked up right away because mm. there's no downtime with them. Yeah. But even just to ask a question like, what's up, dude? Like, What would you do over the weekend? And then like, we went to a movie. Well, who would you go to the movie with? And all of a sudden, you're talking about who's in the house with them and who's hanging around and who he spends time with and all that. And just intentionally continuing to update mm-hmm. your database, and I've had other teachers tell me that several times. Like, how do you know that about kids? Like, because I asked them, because <laughs> they told me. Yeah. Um, and, and but it pays huge dividends then, like in the years to come too. After those kids are leaving you, um, and you can keep being helpful to them and keep being involved with them, it's, it makes a big difference. Yeah, it makes a big yeah. difference.
1: Well, you know, one other thing that's pretty simple to do, and um, is just to say hello to them by name each day as they come in, you know, I mean, I'm working now with JV players, so they're, they're sophomores and they're boys and many of them come into the gym and they come in with their heads down, you know, and I'll just say, Hey, you know, Hey Josh, how's you, how are you doing? You know, whatever. And just to call them by name just tells them that they're important enough to you, that you'll take that effort to do that. Even though they might, you know, ignore it or act like it's not a big deal, it becomes a pretty big deal to them. Do you do nicknames at all? You know, I do a little bit. Um, I I've coached with coaches that I had one coach, Dan Degner, who I call him the master of nicknames. He would have a nickname <laughs> for everybody after about two days, and and they would stick. I mean, I, you know, I've had i every once in a while I've come up with some nicknames just because of a situation that happened. Um, we play a game called Lightning. It's a shooting game. Uh, many people have played it, but it's a game where you sort of eliminate. Uh, other players by making a basket before they make a basket and we we had one of one of the players on our team that wasn't uh, the best shooter on the team he wasn't really even the best scorer on the team but he was a hustler and really well liked by his 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 teammates but probably was you know if, if I'm being honest he was probably on the third team of of players in terms of playing time and whatever and we played this this game of lightning, and I do this every once in a while. We'll play a game of lightning for the winner gets a Gatorade, and we actually do it on both sides of the floor. So there's you can get knocked out on one side and get to the other side if you get there before that side is done or whatever. And so in this one game, this this player, Holden is his name, was was just constantly getting the better shooters out in front of him. <laughs> and during the drill, I said, wow, Holden's the assassin. And that became his nickname for the rest of the year is that, you know, he you know, I would just say, hey, the assassin hits again or strikes again or whatever. And, um, you know, it's kind of one of those funny things and kind of can sound like a negative one, but it was really gained from a positive uh, deal.
0: Yeah, no, to go along with that, I've got a second grader right now. and We, we dance a lot in Mr. Inland's classroom because I've got more energy than I know what to do with. And uh, so do the second graders. So, I've got a very boy-heavy classroom, too. And so, we do a lot of dancing and, quote-unquote, working out and all that kind of stuff. But we were... So, as the kids grow, their clothes start to get smaller and smaller, right? Well, I got one young man who's, who's well-built, very well-built. Uh, he's going to be an NFL lineman someday. He, the kid is just a stud. But he, um, <laughs> he's dancing a little too hard one day. This is a Tuesday. He's dancing a little too hard on Tuesday. And I don't know if he was trying to do the splits or what he did, but he split his pants from the zipper all the way up to the top. And he was super embarrassed about it. It was like, you know, right around covering his backside. It was hilarious. Um, Tried to get the class back under control. And, you know, he goes upstairs and gets a new pair of pants. The next day, he brings the pair of pants that he borrowed from school back in a bag because we have to wear uniforms. And uh, he's wearing his own pair of pants again. Same time of day. We're dancing. He's dancing away. All of a sudden, he goes, Oh, and he covers his backside again. He ripped another pair of pants. And the kids just lost their minds. So he goes up to the office, gets a new pair of pants. The next day, brings a pair of pants back. Third day. Oh, no. <laughs> that was <No>. Thursday. <laughs> He's dancing away this time. And I don't remember exactly why, but he jumped up in the air and like tried to spin. And he landed. And the whole class went like dead silent. I looked at him. and He looks around. He goes. I'm good. <laughs> and then he turns around and squats and rips his pants oh, right no. then. And all the classes still paying attention to him. And the kids couldn't believe that he ripped three pairs of pants three days in a row. And this is like <laughs> the month after Christmas. So like that real good growth sprint season, you know. <laughs> and uh, we, we were talking about Ninja Turtles later in the day. And if you're familiar with Ninja Turtles, the main villain is named Shredder. Oh, no. So he became Shredder. Shredder. <laughs> and he you thinks good. it's the coolest thing. Like he'll correct me. I'll call him. I go <coughs> shredder. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty. All right, dude. Again, yeah. sounds like it'd be a negative thing, but he owns it and he rocks it, and it's awesome. Yeah. So the theory is, supposedly, it makes them feel loved, but there are definitely times where, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not helping. Yeah. I don't know. I I'm always I can never decide on nicknames. Some of them are awesome. Some them, maybe it depends on the kid.
1: Yeah, but you know, and you know, one of the things that I have done because it's real easy to you know, sometimes the kids call them, you know, things mm-hmm. and, and sometimes I've just started calling them that too. Um, I had one situation a couple of years ago where that happened, where the, all the kids were calling him by a nickname. And so then at one point I called him by that nickname and I could tell immediately he didn't like me calling oh, him that. Yeah. And so I, I pulled him over and I, I asked him, you know, and he, and he said, you know, I'm okay with my friends calling me that, but I I, I don't really like it other than that, yeah. you know, and so, you know, I think sometimes that's what you need to do. Just say, hey, are you, are you okay with this nickname? Because I can knock it off right. if you, you know, and again, I think that shows respect. It says mm-hmm. that you care about their feelings. And I think that goes a long way with connecting with them.
0: Yeah. Cool. Yeah, no, you're right. It's the second dimension thing right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so going back to coaching a little bit and uh, talking about what makes a good coach. Um, we said and you said you, know, you can't you can't lead a tour somewhere you've never been. Yeah. Uh, so what do coaches need to make sure they're doing in order to stay grounded, and make sure their heart's safe and secure? Well,
1: well, I think you know. Again, I'm a little bit biased. Um, some would call me a professional Christian because I work for Fellowship <laughs> of Christian Athletes. But I think you. I think for coaches, they need to be taking care of the the three dimensions themselves. I mean, not only. I mean, if you're going to be a good coach, you have to be good at that first dimension, the sk- skills and strategies. But but then you also have to you have to have some knowledge and experience in the second and third dimension yourself. And so you need to be on the journey yourself. You know, and so. What, that, what does that mean? It means different things for different, different coaches. For me, I try to do a daily um, a daily devotion. It's sometimes pretty simple. Uh, you know years ago um, years ago I heard Billy Graham talking about somebody asked him in, a, in an interview what he did to keep his relationship with God fresh. And he said he reads three passages of Scripture every day. He reads a passage from the Psalms, a passage from Proverbs and, and a passage from the gospel. And they asked him, well, why those, why those three things? And he said, well, the, the, the passage from the psalm keeps me looking up towards God, which I need to do every day. The passage from the proverb is because proverbs are so darn practical that I can always find something in the proverb of the day to apply that day. And then and then in the gospel, I read the gospel because I want to be like Jesus, and the gospels are all about Jesus. And so he did that, and I, I sort of kiddingly share that I figured I'm about as third as spiritual as Billy Graham. So I grabbed one of those things, and I grabbed the the reading the proverb of the day, which works really well. There's 31 proverbs. So any month, if you don't know what else to look at in the Bible, you can look at the proverb of the day. So like today being the ninth, I read Proverbs 9. And I probably read it for about the whatever time because I've been doing this for about 15 years. I do it every month, and um and I don't do it every single day, but probably about 90% of the days in the last 15 years, I've read the proverb of the day. And so I do that partly because it just keeps me thinking about things that I need to work on. Mm-hmm. And the, the crazy thing about it is that I've read proverbs through 100 times, and I'm still finding ones that seem new. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's partly because we as people, we grow and we change and life changes throws things at us, and all of a sudden something that we might have heard years ago, we hear it now or read it now, and it, and it comes at us in a different way. I also think that's part of what um, Scripture being alive and active is how God uses it in our lives. So for me, that's part of what I do as a discipline to keep try to keep my heart uh, in check. Because real honestly, I, I mean, I, I have issues. I have issues I, I, I'm working on all the time. And Um, I mean, there's some ugly parts of my inner life that God is still working on. And if I ignore those or ignore God, the ugliness starts taking over and it starts spilling out. And so, you know, I know that I need to have a plan. And, you know, because I'm in full-time Christian work, I have the benefit of having a boss that realizes that that's important too. So I actually get to um, once a week, I spend four hours in a little prayer cottage out in Delafield, where I do what I call soul care, and I do a variety of things there. But it's it's for me to make sure that I'm not hiding any filth in my heart, and 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 giving God an opportunity to point that out to me, so that so that I can be growing in my relationship with Him and becoming more the the man He wants me to be. Well, I think. Whether you do that in a completely spiritual sense or you simply do it in an emotional sense, I think every coach needs time like that. And I think most of the time, in particularly in season, we get so caught up in practice plans and scheduling and all the things that we need to do that sometimes we don't take care of ourselves. And you know, eventually, if that happens, eventually that stuff spills out, our frustrations, our you know, our, our anger, whatever, spills out. And you know who gets, you know, the brunt of it. It's usually our players. And so I think that that's one of the big things that coaches need to do is take time to, to reflect, keep themselves emotionally stable if they can. Um, I think it's helpful to have a sounding board, a person mm-hmm. that's not just a yes man that maybe will challenge um, you if, you know, whatever. I mean, my wife does that for me every day. Um, and by agreement, because of our relationship. Um, I, I want her to, 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 to call me out if I'm living in, uh, in contradiction to what I say I want to live. Um, but I also have other people in my life that'll do that, um, that will, you know, I'll get together with them once in a while or I've given them permission if they ever see me in, a, in the distance doing something that they question, I give them the permission to come and challenge me on mm-hmm. it. I think that's important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you're familiar with Steven Mansfield at all. Yes, uh, but he talks about that a lot, and something yeah. really hammers down, hammers home, is having that group or even you know a very small group, committed group that you can always go to and yeah. and stay in each other's lives too. Yeah. Cool. Um, any last comments on coaching or anything here?
1: Any last comments on coach? I think it's one of the greatest uh, professions, hobbies, whatever that a person can be involved in. Um, you know, as as I said, you know, I think it was actually Billy Graham that said this one point he said that a youth coach will impact more young people in in a year than the average person will in a lifetime and you know I know that there's a lot of people out there that are spending time with youth teachers and youth leaders and whatever and, and obviously they're making a huge impact on the kids that they're spending time with but but really for most of the rest of us as we grow older we get more and more disengaged with the youth and, and we start not understanding them and whatever. Stepping into coaching gives you an opportunity to step into their world and really to have an influence and impact on them, and particularly those, those believers who, who realize that God has asked us to be his ambassadors as we live out our lives. If you want to have an impact on, on youth, um, step into coaching and, and look at some of the resources like Three Dimensional Coaching, and there's some others out there that are really good transformational coaching, um, is really another good book that talks about being a transformational coach rather than a transactional coach, meaning that you're focused on your athletes and trying to develop them versus just getting something for yourself in the process. Um, you know, just uh, I just encourage you to get involved in coaching and um, look, to, look to resources like the Fellowship of Christian Athletes to help you be able to um, do it in a way that has a really positive impact on kids' lives.
0: Awesome. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, you can find more episodes like this on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, the podcast app, and Pippa. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at Time to Gird Up. You can find us on Facebook at The Gird Up Podcast. Or if you want to email me, you can email me at Coach Ungemach, that's U-N-G-E-M-A-C-H at gmail.com. Please leave a five-star rating and review on this podcast on iTunes. The more four- and five-star ratings we receive, the more people we will reach on iTunes because iTunes will boost us more. Thank you to Seth Palmeyer for our podcast art, and thank you to you, the listener, because without you, this podcast would not be possible. So with that, I encourage you to go out, man up, gird up, and become the men that God has created us to be. Have a good one.